Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, August 15th. We're going to mix things up a little bit here on today's show. Now, there is so much for us to discuss from the past week in the tennis world. The Masters event in Canada now officially in the books. Things quickly turning towards Cincinnati on the ATP and WTA tours. We're going to focus on something else, though, here on today's show. Don't worry. We'll get back to those topics tomorrow, a two-mini break podcast Wednesday in store for all of you listeners. But here at Cracked Rackets, we also take it upon ourselves to keep all of you listeners up to date on all levels of the tennis world. And if you're looking for the latest news from the challenger level, if you're looking from the latest ITF news, excuse me, for the latest ITF news from players with college tennis ties in the pro tennis world, we got you covered on those topics. Go check out the Great Shot podcast feed. That said, there's also the junior level of the tennis world. And of course, why is the junior level important? Well, that's where the game's rising stars emerge. And every so often, we like to cover that topic here at Crack Rackets. Certainly, we want to do that here this week as the biggest event on the U.S. junior calendar. It's now officially in the books. The boys and girls 16s and 18s national championships now officially complete. Of course, the winners of those events are offered main draw wild cards into the U.S. Open. Not just the U.S. Open junior event. No, the adult, dare I say, U.S. Open main draw as well. Lerner Tien, Claire V. Gunaway taking the 2023 titles. We wanted to break down those results, these two events, the action in San Diego for the girls, the action in Kalamazoo for the boys. There's only one guest who can help us do so. She's the GOAT. She's been covering this. She invented the junior tennis beat, and she was fortunate enough to share her time with us once again. Of course, I'm referring to the GOAT, Colette Lewis, who's going to join me here on today's podcast to talk about what I refer to again as the Super Bowl on the U.S. junior calendar, the Boys and Girls 16s and 18s National Championships. We'll talk TN. We'll talk Gunaway. We'll talk about the other American prospects all of you tennis fans should have on your radar moving forward. It's a delightful conversation. I hope all of you I mean, I think it's very evident throughout the course of our conversation, the reverence I have for Colette. This show wouldn't exist without her. I read her every day growing up that she's willing to share her time with me now on this show. Again, it's the greatest privilege I have. That's why I'm so excited for her to join me once again here on today's show. That said, as I alluded to earlier, too many break podcasts Wednesday. Tomorrow we'll talk WTA results in Canada. We'll also start talking Cincinnati as well. Had a guest reschedule on me. Don't worry. All is set for Wednesday. Again, it's going to be a fun week on the podcast front here at Crack Rackets as, of course, we get ready to head towards the LS Pro Challenge as well in Pennsylvania. Then we're on the road in Cleveland. Again, 
We're going to have some fun. We'll take you along for the ride with us. And moving forward, we will have plenty of podcast content for all of you Crack Rackets listeners to enjoy. Of course, the reason we have this podcast is because of the support we get from all of you and because of the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products. Also, want to put it on your radar now. If you are at all in the Oklahoma area and a listener of this show, we're headed to Oklahoma second weekend in September. It is a fantastic exhibition event. We talked about it with the tournament director on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed a couple of weeks ago. We're amped to get on the road. We're amped to support an exceptional cause. We're just really excited for the event. You can learn more again. Check out my interview with the tournament director on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed and continue to monitor our social media for more information. Speaking of information, no one gives it to us better than when we get the chance to speak with the GOAT, Colette Lewis. So let's get to that conversation now. Here we are recapping the Boys and Girls 16s and 18s National Championships with the one and only Colette Lewis. Joining us on the podcast once again today is the returning champion of returning champions. I'm sorry, John Parsons, but that slot belongs to her because, of course, this podcast would not exist without her. And all of us got to enjoy her coverage of this year's USTA Boys 16s and 18s National Championship in Kalamazoo. If you weren't reading along, you weren't doing fandom right. She's been doing it for about two decades now, which is crazy because she turned 26 this year. But, of course, joy. Joining us on the podcast today, fresh off of the first draft of her 16th story, is someone re-referred to as the GOAT in these parts. It's our dear friend, Colette Lewis. Colette, welcome back onto the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's nice to be back. It's been a while. Yeah, I was afraid. Honestly, it's because we were supposed to do a podcast probably three months ago, and <laughs> You know, sometimes my schedule gets a little funky and I wasn't the best maybe with responding. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to ask Colette to do a podcast because I didn't respond to the last one. But nevertheless, anytime we have an event like Boys, Girls, 16s, 18s, Nationals, it's essential we have you on the podcast because and I know we've talked about this in years past, but for new listeners, we may have picked up along the way. Can you explain why these this week of event is the Super Bowl on the U.S. junior calendar? I think probably the number one reason is the U.S. Open wildcards that go to the winners of the 18s and then the U.S. Open junior wildcards that go to the winners of the 16s. And that alone um, really makes makes certain that, that the best players will show up which um, if you know anything about national championships in other countries, it's a problem for them. So having that kind of a carrot out there has has really has always been the major factor in getting people, uh, all of the contenders, whether they're just playing pros or whether they're, um, you know, just playing the, the junior slams, they come to this tournament because of, of the, the, the fact that, the um, U.S. Open wild, they'll get a U.S. Open wild card. So that's number one. But a, a close second, I'm sure, is just the prestige of the tournaments and the fact that it's been so so historic. It's been around so long that um, 
you know, there are so many greats that have won the tournaments that um, it it seems like a rite of passage that that everybody needs to do. So I it, it is a special week. Um, as I said, people that don't see each other because they're playing different schedules on different levels um, get together usually for one last time. Um, and so it, it really has a festival atmosphere to it as well as, you know, high stakes. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, the fact that you even see players come back after a freshman season of college. This exactly. year, the top two seeds, Lerner Tien, Nishesh Basavaretti, just finished their seasons at USC and Stanford, respectively. In the women's draw, you have Reese Brantmeyer, you have Daria Smetanikov coming off of good seasons at UNC and AM, respectively. You're right. It's the carrot of a U.S. Open wild card. And, you know, even second place, you get a qualifying wild card. You mentioned third, fourth, fifth. You're playing in New York in U.S. Open juniors, if not main draw. You get those qualifying wild cards as well. It's a shout out to the USTA for continuing to value this event, to provide this sort of championship. And, you know, it only took me four minutes to get here. The 2015 Kalamazoo is the best junior tournament. That's ever existed, ever. Just it's the best ever. That's Tiafo over Kozlov, five sets in the final. And you have Tommy has won the junior French. Riley has won junior Wimbledon. Taylor goes on to win the junior U.S. Open that year. And just, you know, again, it was the best. Check the film. Check the tape. You can still watch it on YouTube. Just search Kalamazoo Zoo Tennis. Um, those sorts of events exist. And so... Uh, the reason I bring up that sort of context is I want to start by talking about the guys event, which we'll get into Kalamazoo versus San Diego in a little bit. But I do want to start with the tennis because, you know, Lerner Tien did something that just doesn't happen very frequently. He not only wins the title this year, he repeats as the boys 18s national champion. And, you know, Lerner was, I believe, the number one overall seed going into the event. And so, you know, for some to say, the one seed one, not that big of a deal. It's a massive deal because you look historically at the list of guys who have done it. I think it's for this century. Zach Sfida goes back to back, 19 and then 21. You know, I'll always remember the Jack Sock back to back, not only because the second one just felt like the consolidation of, no, this guy's pro ready, but beat a really good Mitchell Frank in the final Colette, which is a match I remember well in that second one. And I actually think that year, Ronnie Schneider beat Luca Corintelli in the 16th, which, again, don't worry. I'm not taking us too far off track. Uh, <laughs> Donald Young is the fourth who has repeated this century. Sock, Young, both top 100 players. Svida's working his way there, but has certainly continued to progress up the rankings thus far. It's been a pretty linear upwards path. You, do, you win Kalamazoo twice. That's the sort of class of player you are joining. Did it feel like that for Lerner Tien coming off of this title, Colette? Yeah, I think I, I think it did. Um, it, last year, he saved match points in the round of 16, four match points. So so he, he was pay, playing, I think, not only as a 16 year old, but also, um, you know, with house money that that he often felt like, you know, I should have lost a lot uh, two three matches ago so I'm just going to play more free you know freely and of course you cannot do that when you're the number one seed and defending champion everybody wants your best shot so um 
wants a shot at you. And so I do think um, to be able to hold up under that pressure, he did have one tough match, um, which Zvita never did, by the way, when, when he repeated, he never had, he won every match in straight sets, but um, even over Shelton in the final, which is just like a, a, a worthy piece of history to note. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, Lerner did, and Darwin, um, yeah. two of the top, you know, easily top 10 juniors in the world played each other in the quarterfinals and he and Lerner was down a set and a break and wasn't playing well um whereas Darwin was and and somehow you know he got through that so I I do think that um the fact that he was able to navigate um a different path this time which you have to do as a defending champion I think that was um significant and, and bodes well for his um prospects to keep going yeah <laughs> I, it's gonna bother me if I don't say it the 14 Kalamazoo field was more impressive because you had Ruben, Altamirano, Escobedo, Donaldson in it as well. That's just a piece of cleanup from me, Colette. Couldn't help myself. <laughs> um, I think when you look at Lerner, it's worth adding the additional context of not only did he have the college season or the months he had, two months at USC. It's the guy who made the Junior Australian Open final. I believe he quartered coming straight from the college season at the Junior French Open as well. and. Oh, semis. Thank you. And so, you know, he cranked a 140 mile per hour serve against Miamir Kesmenovich in the first round of the U.S. Open last year. Like that never it, happened, but I know it's quite <laughs> so. So, well, I mean, I I don't doubt one minute that it said 144 on the on the clock. But what the Kalamazoo radar? What he hit in Kalamazoo this year? We didn't have a radar gun. Oh, so. that's a crime. That's a crime. <laughs> um, they didn't have one in San Diego either. Well, though, I, so don't I worry. just feel badly if people are going to see him hit Ben Shelton like serves. That's not happening. Yeah. Well, it's a different 140. It's different. It's not a Ben Shelton 140. Not all 140s are created equal, Colette. Um, it's, it's just the, like to consolidate his position and go on this nine month run. Right. That's real. That's, you know, Jack Sock winning Ju- Kalamazoo and then winning Junior U.S. Open over Dennis Kudla going on to the top 100, etc. That sort of stuff where you prove it repeatedly. He wins a futures title in the USTA SoCal Pro Circuit. It's the totality of things that start to make you think, you know, now you have a U.S. Open first round paycheck as well. Right. Maybe he is ready to turn pro. You know, you understand that sort of decision. And I mean, we have to say it. The confidence of Lerner Tien, because I, I texted you this privately, and <laughs> let me say, I texted it to multiple group chats, the, the <laughs> article. I was like, if you guys aren't reading, th- this is, again, there are some pieces of yours I just have memorized. 2013, the foot touch, everything that followed it, you know, that's one I'll, I still read. I, you know, I, every six months I'll fire it up, because I'm like, I just want to read it one more time. But, I mean... You know, to to read from Lerner talking about his relationship with Cooper Williams, who I want to talk about Cooper here in a second. But to offer this quote, I joked about this is Lerner. I joked about it with him, meaning Cooper Williams, this whole tournament, whether I was kidding or not. From the start of the tournament, we've been saying we're in each other's semi. Obviously, I had to come through Darwin Blanche and he had to come through Kyle Kang. But he was like, I can't wait to play you. I told him laughing. You have no real belief you can beat me. I don't know why you say you want to play me. I know you really don't want to. I mean, 
that's the best quote I've ever read. Like, <laughs> that's just the confidence of a guy who's here on a business trip saying, look, I'm the guy and I'm going to beat all of you. And to some extent, he did. And so it's a credit to him, right? And so, you know, again, I always say, how much do we weigh this title? I think this is a pretty significant one. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. It, it It is. I think time will tell if he can stay healthy. You know, if he, if he gets a little bit bigger and stronger, he's still quite small. And, um, you know, I know that that, that had some of the um, management companies and that sort of thing. You know, he's not somebody like Ben Shelton, who is, sure. you know, a physical specimen that everybody, you know, can see how he can dominate a match. Um, a learner, it's a little bit more difficult to see it, but um, yeah, he, he can hit a great tennis ball and he's smart and he's confident. So yeah. yes, he has a great chance. When he gives you that quote, do you look at him and say, I can use that, right? Like you're like, you know what you just said. <laughs> like I mean, I'm sure he, you know, again, he's obviously joking around with someone he knows well, but you're like, right. learner, that was just, Mwah. you're just like, thank you. Like you, you I, did my job today. Yes, exactly. That that was I, there was a lot of laughter coming from me during that interview for sure. It was yeah. fun. No, it's just a fun moment because again, you win back to back. He enjoys his first blueberries and cream of the week after the title. It's a winning week for Lerner Tien, and obviously, I want to talk about Trevor Svida, the first Nepo brother to ever make a final. <laughs> uh, as I texted, that's a joke. We'll talk about him in a second, but. It's kind of been the summer of Cooper Williams, the incoming Harvard freshman uh, yeah. who had a really good run at, I believe, both of the summer junior slams. Um, talk to me about his level. Talk to me about what we can expect because he's headed to Harvard uh, in the fall. So we're going to get to see even more of him here at Crack Rack. It's, is it the real deal? Yeah. And um, I, he had a fantastic summer. Um, and then, you know, he made the uh, – quarters at the French, lost to Darwin uh, in three sets, and then made the semis um, at Wimbledon and lost to the eventual champion. And it was, he was playing, I didn't see a lot of the French, but I saw all of his matches at Wimbledon. He was playing outstanding, just, just great, great tennis. And then he comes to Kalamazoo. I think he played Edwardsville or, you know, one of those. But uh, it didn't do great. But then he came to Kalamazoo and like in five matches, lost 13 games. I mean, <laughs> Kyle Kane wasn't able to hang with him. So it was like, holy cow. And then that's kind of what made that quote so interesting is because you actually saw the truth in that quote is that there what it did not look like Cooper believed that he could that he could beat Lerner. And um, that was a little bit surprising given how well he had been playing and the, and the kind of uh, results that he put up this summer. But as we know, that happens and in juniors, it's gonna happen as well. But no, I look for him to have, you know, a really great fall. Um, talked to a couple of coaches about where he might play in the lineup at Harvard, because of course, everybody's expecting them to have a, a fantastic team this year. And I got various, um, you know, comments, but uh, guesses, but it would not surprise me personally to see maybe not Michael Zhang with, with um, Henry von der Schulenberg coming back, but maybe a, a solid number two or three for sure. I, I can't see him not playing in the top half of the lineup. Yeah, well, uh, 
on the Harvard side of things, and yeah, they lose their number one, Harry Walker, who is my little brother's favorite player. You know I value Nicholas Gruskin oh, takes. He, he's a, <laughs> an important contributor here behind the scenes. <laughs> and he went and saw Harvard play Penn in person. Um, and he was just like, Alex, like, I'm just telling you. <laughs> he's like, I, it's real. Uh, and so it was very fun. Um, but, you know, again, looking at a trend I seem to notice, and it's still pretty early, but – and I, I think I was looking at this recent class and it was like 11 of the 28. I, I might have those numbers wrong. I'll double check in a second. But 11 of the 28 blue chips committed to Ivy League schools. Mm-hmm. And I, as I was looking through, you know, the rising juniors, rising seniors, I felt like there were only two types of commitments thus far. You either committed to Stanford or UNC because they offered and you're like, yep, I'm in. I'm like, say no more. Or you committed to an Ivy League because mm-hmm. that offer existed. And... You know, again, they're uh, Ivy League are getting blue chip players right now, Colette. And I, I just am I am I projecting, or it, it, is that a, a trend you have seen as well? I it's been going on for a long time. Okay, I, I don't think it's new. Um, I think maybe the higher end blue chips are are a little bit more um in um willing to look at um ivies now than they might have been five or ten years ago but um that there was a point i guess where where the ivies weren't um considered that competitive but with i would say what Columbia has done and, you know, Harvard and Princeton. I, I just, I just think that that's not going to slow down again, though. It, it is somewhat like, I think we've talked about before with, with Stanford is that you get a lot of great, great recruits. And then they get to a place where they see things other than tennis that are interesting and, and um, don't always necessarily you know concentrate on being a pro tennis player and that that's kind of the difference um I think right now yeah I just again I I think there were five Ivy League schools in tennis recruiting's top 25 in the class of 2022 recruiting and yeah it it is just an emerging I mean I saw it in the women's side as well felt like committed to Harvard committed to Yale committed to Penn whatever it may be Right. It's just an interesting note. But yeah, I mean, Cooper has everyone's attention. Like you make a couple of quarterfinals and then reach a semi here in Kalamazoo. It's going to be fascinating to see if he goes on a Bassavaretti or Ethan Quinn type run right away where he has success right. at an All-American or has success at a fall Nats. And, you know, you mentioned Darwin Blanche. That's another guy who obviously brother of Ulysses and I'm curious because I've seen Ulysses play. I mean, he does not lack in firepower. And if Darwin's got even a fraction of that, like, (laughs) yeah, I see it already. But, you know, again, I I brought them up earlier, the 2014-15 range where you had guys like Fritz, Tiafo, Paul, who are all top 13 in the rankings right now. And you knew about them if you were reading Zoo Tennis. This is why I'm saying you got to read it every day. Um, But even guys like Michael Moe and Kozlov and Rubin. Donaldson was obviously a top 100 player. Escobedo's been a top 100 guy. You had the Shropshire and Eubanks moments, which we all remember fondly. Um, you know, Michael Moe wins it a couple years later. This group of quarterfinalists, Tien, Blanche, Kang, Williams, Brown, Svida, Horvitz, Bosveretti. Is it that type of group 
Uh, you know, again, Bosferetti has a Junior Slam doubles title. We saw what he did at Stanford. Blanche has had junior success. We're starting to learn about Trevor Svida. You feel like it's that sort of group? What was your takeaway? No. Okay. <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah. I I think it's good. I hope I'm wrong. Um, I I just think that that 2015 generation comes along once in a generation, not once every five or six years. So. <laughs> yeah. No, it's again fair enough. Would you? Um, how is Trevor? I haven't seen him play. Oh, you haven't. No. Oh my god. Well, I got lucky because. As you know, he doesn't play much. Yeah. Um, and so he he got on a plane for the first time to play in a tournament. Just think about that for a minute. Um, <laughs> and at age, finals. That's crazy. At age 17. And yes, um, I was fortunate enough that he, I believe, got a wild card into the San Diego J300 in March and beat um, Coop. Cooper Weston Dyke, who had just won uh, the ITF in Indian Wells the week before. So obviously he had my attention from that first match. He ended up losing, uh, I think, in the round of 16 or maybe it was the quarters to uh, Kalen Bagoon. Um, but I was super impressed with his game. And it did not – people were asking me before – Coaches and, you know, people I talk to frequently at the tournament were saying, you know, can he do what Zach did and can he win this? And I said, no, I didn't think so. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did. And I guess that's kind of a kind of a wishy-washy thing to say. But I, you know, I do, <laughs> despite Zach's um stellar stellar two two time championship runs it's hard to do that when you don't have any experience um in that kind of situation and i he played so well against bassavaretti i mean he played just tremendous tennis um it's a little bit different than zach's zach's game uh, but he takes the ball extremely early, uh, stands on the baseline and, you know, rips, rips winners. And um, I don't think against Lerner, he he was able to overcome the defense that that Lerner can play just with the way he moves and covers the court. And he just I, he just never looked comfortable in the final. But I it was it was super impressive that he was able to do what he did, given that he had zero experience with Kalamazoo. And from what he tells me, Zach and never talks about it. And his father, Tom, who has coached both of them, never talk about, you know, what you need to do to win Kalamazoo. So if that's true, he just did the the classic cliche ridden um junior tournament or any tennis player says is just yeah i'm gonna take one match at a time and see what i can do and he actually you know he he won some matches that uh, i mean he beat aiden kim three and three i mean that really got people's attention if if anybody was under selling trevor's right they weren't after that match it just wasn't that close i mean it was a very close match it was just one break in each set but 
Aiden Kim is a fantastic player and, you know, he serves in volleys. He can do a, a lot of different things and it just wasn't good enough against Trevor. So he had some incredible uh, wins uh, during the week and he's eligible to come back next year. So he'll certainly go to the top of the list of favorites. I like to hear it. Well, then you mentioned Cooper Westendike. I want to ask you about the 16s as well. I really liked a, a, a comment you made and, you know, his talking about the fact that, you know, it was the third time he had played the 16s draw. And I actually kind of like the idea that Cooper Westendike's like, look, it's going to be Lerner. It's going to be Darwin. It's going to be someone else. Like, <laughs> What's the point? What if I go play the 16s, try to win this with some pressure, and then, right. by the way, there's that carrot of the U.S. Open junior main draw wild card as well. I like. I get the decision. I like that he talked openly about it, and obviously he goes on to win the title pretty comfortably, minus some poor serving, it sounded like, to start the match due to yeah, some wind bad. and nerve. I like that he goes, well, you know, my, my arm was tight, my legs were shaky, but it was also windy. And I like that he was like, I'd like to point out, it was also windy. Like, I get it, I was nervous, but it was windy. Um, but look, he, he, he went out, he did the job. What'd you think? Yeah, I was extremely impressed by that because I, I even I thought it was, a, I doubt very much anybody who's ever won a, a you know, a J300 is the second second or third, depending how, how you want to look at it. The slams are number one, and then they're grade A's. And then the J300s, there's only four or five of those in the United States. And he won one of those. And they don't go back and play the 16s when you've done that. You just don't do it. Um, last year, Lerner won San Diego, and he played the 18s. You know, he could have played the 16s, He and he hadn't come close. The thing is that Cooper finished third when he was 14 years old. So it's like he he really had a lot of chances. Last year he lost to Darwin in a good match, a three-setter. But um I, you know, I wasn't sure it was the right decision. Um, but then yeah, he wanted to play with that pressure. He did not have the best summer. He did all he did qualify for Wimbledon, but he did all of the big tournaments in in Europe and didn't do very well. And so I think, you know, he talked to me a lot about needing to get his confidence back and then to be able to know that when everybody is is giving their best to try and beat him that he could find ways. And he, I don't think he played well, uh, not like I'd seen him play. I'd seen him play this spring um, in more than one or two matches, but um, he won ugly and he did what he wanted to do. So I, all the credit in the world to him for that. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's really hard to win a Kalamazoo title. And I like the tidbit. What was it? He snapped a streak of four straight lefties. Yes. Like, yeah, which is just like. Brand, we go back to Brandon Nakashima the last time a 16-year-old yeah. was <laughs> left-handed. That's yeah. a while. So, I mean, it's good company for Cooper Weston Dyke That's to join. Um, no, it's a credit to him. And, you know, again, uh, being in San Diego, you talk to enough coaches, there are some names that – they start to throw at you and you hear enough of these names repeatedly. You start to realize, all right, like these are the players to watch. 
any coaches, darlings, any players kept coming up, like coaches kept saying, hey, watch this player, Collider. I really like this guy. Any coaches, darlings that we haven't already touched on that stood out from the week? Oh, that's that's a good question. Um, I, I think- got to throw one good question at you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I think maybe um, Ian Mayu, who um, he lost in the his first match um, as the number one uh, 13 seed in the 16s and then went into the back draw. And Alex, he won 10 matches over that stretch in the back draw. He only had one walkover. He played 10 matches. Um, he was scheduled to play 11, and he won all of them. Um, he's a very um, athletic uh, kid. He'll be 17 in November. I'm sure he was crushed. He he lost to Mark Krupkin, who was unseated, but is a big, strong, um, big serving, one of the biggest serves probably in the 16s. And uh, he lost him indoors. So it, it was a, just a, but all credit to him because it's so easy to to make excuses. And he was playing indoors, outdoors, um, you know, two matches a day. So I, I would say that if he hasn't committed anywhere and I haven't heard that he has, um, he would be on the top of a lot of lists, just not just for his athleticism and his his ability, but for for being willing to do what he did in the backdrop. Mm-hmm. No, that's where again the pl- people and the players who are willing to play the full week. I mean, it's it's just really hard to be anywhere for ten days, and that's ultimately what these weeks turn into. You can only right. eat so many berry, uh, you know, blueberries and cream before you go crazy, <laughs> Colette. And so, no, it, it was a good week and. You know, again, are, are, did I miss anything? I know we didn't talk about the doubles champions, but any final Kalamazoo well, thoughts? Well, I, I would um, probably mention Jagger Leach. People might be kind of interested in in um, Lindsay Davenport's son playing. Um, he lost, uh, and, you know, uh, Lachlan Gaskell, who made the final in the 16s, um, that's who uh, Jagger lost to. And Gaskell played indoors uh, in the semis Saturday and one of the most amazing third sets you will ever see from a junior. And he w- he was just on fire. He did not miss. He was aggressive when he w- when he like lose a point, he would say, I have to hit the ball harder. And you know how that usually goes. <laughs> not well, but it went perfectly <laughs> for him. And, you know, <laughs> Jagger, um, played well he didn't play poorly um he but that was just one of those you know one of those sets that that you see every so often and then in the final he 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 was never convinced that he could beat cooper so it it wasn't even when he was up four one i don't think he ever believed it so so that was it but um jagger went on to take third place and uh he's in cincinnati this week with his mom that's a little <laughs> tidbit i can pass along <laughs> and then i'll see him next week with his dad when we we're at uh, the college park j300 so no no i'm glad to hear you're there that's very funny you bring that up because i was talking to someone who can remain nameless on the phone this past week, which is what you do when you're on the road. You just call people and they're like, hey, do you want to talk? Because otherwise I'm in a hotel room. Um, And the name Tim Van Reithoven came up. And I was like, oh, well, 
I've known Tin Van Reithoven since he finaled the Prince George event at uh, College Park and lost to Riley Opelka in the final. <laughs> I remember watching Riley. I'm like, he's moving really well for 6'7". Um, and then, you know, watching Tim Van Reithoven, you're like, oh, my God, is this guy going to be a Navy SEAL or is he going to hit forehands? I'm un- <laughs> it's unclear right now. Um, and so – that's, I'm glad to hear you will be there. I will say, also on the road, I started watching the HBO series Rome, which is pretty good. Um, and I'm just wondering, what's a better name, Maximus Desalt or Cassius Chinyon? Because I mean, I didn't know we'd have a Maximus and a Cassius still rocking around in 2023. Um, so they have my attention. But no, another fantastic week in Kalamazoo. Um, and obviously, you know, whether indoors, outdoors, it's a lot of fun tennis. This is where the best juniors in the country are all competing. And so uh, appreciate your coverage. It's always the best of it. I do want to talk with you about San Diego as well. I know you weren't there. I was. Right. (laughs) Um, So I don't know how else to transition out of that. Uh, But look, the story of the summer has been Claire V. Gunaway because she not only wins the title here in San Diego. She won the Junior Wimbledon singles title without dropping a set. And I was fascinated. I was looking. Her dropping a set in the final to Catherine Huey was the first time she had dropped the set since the Junior French Quarters, where she lost that match in three sets. Or maybe it was Roehampton the next week. But one of those weeks where she lost in three sets. And it was like, wow. That's a that's an impressive. You know, you win 14 straight matches or whatever it was without dropping a set. That's ridiculous. But I got to see her in person. And, you know, she played a bad first set against Ionescu in the round of 16. She ends up winning that match in straight sets. Quarterfinals, she's facing Tatum Evans, the five-seed 2021 Girls 16s champion. This is how you know I've been on the broadcast, Clyde. I'm locked in with these facts. Like I, I, People ask me, like, how do you know all these things? It's like you understand if you look at a computer screen for seven days. Like if it doesn't stick, you're the problem. Um, and so, you know, Tatum Evans, 2021 Girls 16s champion, five in her class, blue chip, committed to UNC. She had just been dusting people and her forehand's weird but it, just like when I watched her I was just like yeah Brian Calvis like he he saw her and he was like yep this is it this is you you get me um um <laughs> I I don't know if I can share this oh yeah you know it, it reflects positively on him I asked coach Calvis I was like so what are the traits you're looking for and I he, like because I was like you got some funky ground strokes and he's like look I just want winners and I was like you know what <laughs> checks out um and so you know and so I was anyways Tatum Evans um who has just been dusting people to get to the quarters she goes up to love on clarity and you're like ooh, like okay this match might get spicy 12 straight games from Clarevy, who then wins the first set six love in the semifinals as well. Um, wow. And so, you know, again, you win eight against a Valerie Glosman who won the 2023 Easter Bowl, like 18 straight games, Colette. And it was the first time, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to the INSQ match, but I watched it happen where she was like, okay, it's time to try. And like the serve, the forehand, her ability in the outer thirds. The backhand slice, which is just a nice little off-speed added to the mix ingredient to the power she can overwhelm you with, but she's fluid as well. The defense is good. I mean, she played really bad in the final. Uh, She'd be the first to say it, and she still won the match, but the matches to go watch back are the quarters and the semis because I just see it. Like, 
I know she's 17 years old, has this U.S. Open main draw. I'm fairly certain she is signed and is ready to go pro. Um, she's the real deal, like, Colette. She is just I, – I mean, I, in my opinion, I saw her as that good. I think she's now like – uh, I think it's 47-4 and four in junior play over the last 52 weeks. Like, she has it. She's that good. Yeah, and I I was interested that she even played San Diego because last year when Liv Havdi won Wimbledon, um, she said afterwards when I asked her that she was going to, but then she didn't. And um, she didn't end up with a main draw wild card in the U.S. Open. She ended up with the qualies, and I'm pretty sure had Cleary been wanting to take that route, she could have. Um, gotten the quality wild card without doing it, you know, anything. But uh, she, she had that great win over um, Blinkova in uh, the qualifying for DC. Uh, very impressive to beat the number 37 play in the world in straight sets like that. So I think she came in, you know, ready to go. And I, yeah, it's it's hard to see when she's playing well in the in the final. Was it? The, yeah, I I'm sorry. <laughs> when I think about Wimbledon finals, they're always on court one and Clurby <laughs> played on court 12. And I'm like, I was sitting on court 12. Was that the final? <laughs> it was unfortunately a very poor decision by Wimbledon on that one. Um, she played so, so, so well, and it was fun to see, like you said, not just her power, which is fairly obvious, but, but to see her volley, to see her, uh, change things up, to throw in a lob, to throw in a drop shot. Um, she's adding things to her game now, um, you know, to go with that power that she's had for a long, long time. So I, I think that's the way to go to start with that kind of power and then, and then add in the things that, that you can do, um, and can learn to do. And she, boy, she brought that all in Wimbledon and, and I'm sure she did against Valerie Glasman as well, who is a fantastic player and does not get beat love and three or whatever it was. I mean, that just doesn't happen to somebody like Valerie. So, um, yeah, I, I think you probably saw the best of Clarity at some point as well. Yeah. And she's just such a lovely human being oh, as she well is, to she be is, around. Yeah. Yeah, she is. And I, you know, sometimes she talks a little bit in cliches when she, when she's talking, talking to you, Media. but yes, exactly. Yeah. That kind of thing. But as a person, she is, she is so kind and so sweet. And it's, it's fantastic to see somebody who's been in the spotlight for several years now um, to be just as down to earth and, and just a nice person. It's yeah. great. No. And again, I was kind of incognito because I didn't have to wear a credential and look, I, I buttoned down up. I had a shaved face for championship Sunday. I was handsome <laughs> on championship Sunday. I always say, I mean, I'm always handsome, but I always say handsome when I need to be in terms of my outfits. Um, and so <laughs> anyways, all that is to say, uh, I was ch I got to chat with her throughout the course of the week and I was behind the tournament desk a lot of time. And yeah, players are just a little bit more open and honest when they don't think they're staring down the barrel of the media. And yeah, she was just lovely and very forthright and very much. Here's what I was thinking. Here's how this match played out. Like, oh, I did this. I didn't do this. 
And you mentioned it. Like, the power is obvious, but it's everything else. She hit this on-the-run forehand passing shot to break Evans to get back on serve, and you were just like, oh, my God. Like, you could do that, too? Um, And just, you know, she's working with Jermaine Jenkins down in Florida, which is just a great pairing, in my opinion. And I'm in. Like, push the chips. I'm all in. Like, I will be shocked if she's not top 200 in the world after she plays her first full season of pro events. Obviously, you get a U.S. Open main draw wild card, uh, main draw wild card that first round $80,000 paycheck just to kick things off. Ain't too shabby. They also in San Diego, shout out to Lorna Kuehl, who's fantastic. Um, they also ensure, yeah, you like how I snuck that in? Um, <laughs> yeah. Colette's laughing at me. You guys might not hear it, but she's laughing at me because she thinks I'm sucking up to sponsors. The week's over. I'm still sucking <laughs> up. Um, anyways, uh, they get a wild card into the WTA 500 qualifying as well. That's right. And, That's and that right. draw is just insane. And so just to have that opportunity again for Clarity, it's probably another carrot that brings her back. And it's a credit to the USDA for making this event worthwhile. I don't know if eight minutes on Clarity is enough because like I'm that <laughs> certain she's that. Like I can't emphasize this enough. I'm I'm so like we I asked you about the men's side on the women's side. I remember the CC run. Like that was the first time where I was really locked into a San Diego where it was just like, all right, like yeah, CeCe's real. Like, she's doing it juniors. Now she wins this. Now she goes third round U.S. Open. Like, it's just real. You know, Kennan the next year, Kennan was always – it's hilarious because Kennan was in the CC shadow. Like, let's not play revisionist history. We all remember it. Um, and then Kennan goes on to be the slam champion. It's just, again, you got to love how these things play out. That's why you got to read Zoo Tennis from the start so you know these little tidbits. Um, but, like, those two years, you kind of knew it. You know, Kruger, Volley Nets, they've been really good over the past couple of years. Elena Yu, I was a little dialed out to last season because we were on the road, but she reached the semifinals. And I would point out, unlike Kalamazoo, there hasn't been a back-to-back champion this century. The last player to do it was Laura Granville, 98-99. And so to even get to the semifinals, that's a heck of an effort from uh, Elena Yu. But I'm just like... This one makes sense. I, I would put a lot of weight in this one, Colette, I guess is is my takeaway. And that that's my final question for you is do you agree? Yes, I do. I, I do. It, it, barring an injury or something that, that we can't even anticipate, um, w- from what I've seen from her in the last two or three years, I, I you know, I don't see how how she well, everything has to go right and it's still there are still things that need to go right with her but she's she's on a very very likely path right now and that she's the leader of this group i can't emphasize this enough colette this is a really good group of u.s juniors we have right now uh and you know i want to get into the depth of this group i would point out because this is the third time we've done this 2021 22 now this year um shout out to the third annual look at us colette um (laughs) the reason i bring that up is the first two years i made this joke this is the first year i can't make the joke you know coco Goff was eligible for the draw like this is the first year she's not we have to retire the joke and so (laughs) she could not have won this event for the first time ever the the baton has officially been passed like that's why i bring it up it's because it's like Goff is the number one prospect well it's like actually maybe not anymore like I, i mean Yes, she is. She's 19 and she's top 10 in the world. But like there are now other people we can start to focus on, too. But I mean, you look at this group. Havdi was eligible. She didn't play. You know, Jovic 
didn't play the event. But those are two other names you would put in the wor- in the group of like these are players to watch. And then we'll get to the 16 side of things in a little bit because I might even be more excited about the results I saw there. But, you know, let's nerd out. Let's talk Stanford 2024 for a second. And <laughs> honestly, Stanford 2025 because for those that don't know – Stanford brings back Connie Ma, NCAA singles finalist. Alexandra Yepifanova was a top, I think, 20 junior in the world, if not up there. Um, Angelica Blake, who is an All-American. Valencia Shu, who is really freaking good. Uh, Alexis Blokina, who is really freaking good. Now they're going to bring in these two freshmen. Elena Yu, who wins this event last year, semifinalist this year. Catherine Huey finalist at the event this year beats you in three sets in the semifinals they bring in Valerie Glosman the next year to replace Blake so it's not like the seven player conundrum goes away where are you in the who who's more likely to crack the lineup do you think who who's the seventh player out in that mix because like <laughs> I mean all three of those players Glosman might be the most impressive of the bunch two hands on both sides but just like can do a little bit of everything Hways your traditional steps into the forehand, backhand line can be nice. Use the grinder. Use the odd duckling of the group. I'm never sure how she wins any point, but she just does win all the points. Like, she just finds ways, and she is fiery. Like, more than any of the three, her spirit belongs in college tennis. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating group. Where are you with this Stanford three? Yeah, I they've... For a while there, I don't think their um, recruiting classes were quite up to what we had what we had been used to. Um, but then with with uh, Blokina last year, and then now who they've got coming in, um, yeah, they're 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 back. They're, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're they're back. You know, obviously, you know, with Connie and and um, Yepifanova, and yeah, so I think. Yeah, if there's any worry that Stanford might be <laughs> might be not attracting the top recruits anymore, that that's you know that's gone away. They are able to do that, and um, yeah, they're going to be uh, exceptional. And I don't know how it's going to I- exactly play out, but um, they are going to be an excellent team yeah. for the near future and well into 2027 I would say yeah and if they don't sign anyone else and of course you know they will it's crazy because and look I don't mean to be disrespectful to coaches who might hear this and get mad but like North Carolina is obviously the team to beat they bring back everyone they add um Rabman as well, who, by the way, her, the fact that her versus Lopez wasn't streamed, I apologize to everyone because I wanted to watch that match more than anything. Way to bring up the name Kavia Lopez, Alex. I got to write her on the list of depth because, again, it's another prospect. I watched Kavia Lopez, and I'm just like, I love your game. I just like the power, but she it's a little creative as well. There are slices mixed in. She'll move forward. I mean – she should have beaten Elena Yu. Like, she had a million opportunities. She's up 4-1 in the first set, but it's a credit to Elena Yu. This helped bring it back to Stanford, who just finds ways and is just always in the fight. Like, you throw Elena Yu at six, and you feel yeah. good. Like, you feel comfortable that she's going to be out there grinding. That said, there's got to be a spot for Hui in the lineup somewhere as well because 
her power, the pace she plays with, but you're not going to throw out Valencia Shoe or Blokina, and the top three are the top three. And so the reason I say this is it's an arms race. Like, I would put that Stanford six up against the UNC six and say, let's roll the balls out and see what happens um, because they are that good. And, you know, again, I'm not saying there aren't other teams are out there who may emerge to have that same sort of depth, to have that same sort of quality. I haven't fully looked at every roster to give you Well, Texas A&M is going to be pretty good. (laughs) They would like a spot in that conversation as well. I agree. But, like, even if nothing else, like, UNC should be a team of destiny. That should – we should be talking about them like we talk 98 Stanford because to bring that roster back, you should be beating everyone 4-0-4-1. But – I actually think the biggest like luxury Brian Calvis has is that it's like, well, actually, do you look at this Stanford roster? Like, <laughs> the, we can't say that. Like, it's we gotta work because there's a they're a real challenger, is what I'm trying to say. Like, I I do feel that good about you. And you know, Catherine Huey hasn't played a ton of junior tennis over the course of the past year, but she has been on this. Like, she was a semifinalist at this event last year, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just. They're good. And, and like, again, uh, we didn't talk after the Easter Bowl. I think I like Glossman more than both of them. Like, Valerie <laughs> Glossman's awesome. Like, she is so clever and creative. And, yeah, like, I look at this group. I guess this gets back to the depth more broadly because you talk about those three. You talk about Claire V. You talk about Reese Brantmeyer, who was able to play the event, who served for that second set against Huey in the quarterfinals. And, you know, again, I think is just as good as any of these prospects we've talked about. I think Javier Lopez, Havdi, Jovic belong on that list. I am no longer biased, but if I were biased, to see Piper Charney play the way she did and know she's going to Michigan to add to a group that loses Serdan, but obviously Lily Jones just won an event, and I know uh, you know a bunch of players are having good summers. She's going to be a player. I... Victoria Osigwe on camera doesn't do the sound coming off of the racket when she makes contact of Victoria Osigwe in person, and it's striking how much she looks like her sister Whitney. Like, I, that's the first time I was like, oh no, I'm old. Like, cause yeah, it's the first because I was like, if I'm gonna say you look just like your older sister, I was like, that's what a dad says. Alex, <laughs> rein it in. I was like, don't you dare let that thought get out loud. Um, but she's awesome, and Glasman beat her comfortably. So again, like Valerie Glasman's real. Havdi won junior Wimbledon. I've seen Eva, uh, Eva Jovic play. Like I'm a believer in her. Yeah, and I that, hope she, yeah. I hope she's healthy for the um, U.S. Open juniors because, yeah, she's had a really rough summer with injuries. It's It's been a shame that she hasn't played French Wimbledon or, the, or San Diego. So gosh, I hope she, it's nothing, you know, too serious because, we need to see her playing. There's nobody more fun to watch. She's just so um, athletic and it moves so well and fights so hard. And it, it's she's just a pleasure to watch. Mm-hmm. All of that is to say, I think this is a 14-15 type group. Like, I think this group is really good. I, the thing is, you can't compare it to 14-15 because there are three top 15 players in that group. Right. But I think in Claire V., Havdi 
if Jovich can get healthy, the trajectory she's on, like I think there are three top 100 players uh, in the group, or at least people who you can start to have those sorts of dreams. I think you have a lot of really good college players that if they stay on the development, like I think Brantmeyer has top 100 weapons, like, and I think her serve, her forehand, that's just a recipe to pro success to be able to play on your terms. I think this group is really good. And then why I start to even flirt with that upper echelon conversation is who I saw in the 16s. And it's so, like, Julieta Pereja to me is the game I just can't get out of my head because, like, I watched her and I was like, this is like if Katarina Jokic was 14 and American and just balling. Like, because her forehand, the racket speed, how she gets outside the ball, I was all in on her. And then I watched Christina Lutova play. And for those that don't know about Christina Lutova, rising eighth grader, Class of 2028, a decade after <laughs> I graduated college, uh, more than a decade. Uh, junior uh, Orange Bowl champion in the 12s last year. I think she's also on like a, a girls 16s clay court champion, um, right. which is worth noting as well, which she did at the start of July coming into this. Number one seed, 13 years old, drops one set against Pereja on her way to the uh, two sets. She dropped a set against Anita too. Yeah, drops two sets, one against Pereja, was two match points down. What am I talking about? Two match points down in the final against Anita too. Comes back, wins the final, the accompanying U.S. Open main draw wild card into the juniors that comes with it. I watch her backhand, and you're just like, how? How are you this good already? You watch her movement. You're just like, how are you this quick already? You know, the forehand, I, the me, to me, it's crazy to say this, but, like, I see a 13-year-old Garbine Muguruza when I watched Lutova play, where it's just, like, the length, the ability to extend into rallies, the ability to move, though, around the court with that length. She hit this ridiculous flick on the run, cross-court half, you know, the little flicking passing shot cross-court that was just, like, jaw-droppingly excellent. She's 13. Like, Pareja's 14. And I honestly was as impressed by those. If I were to power rank them in terms of pro prospects that I saw, Clairvy would be one, and then there would be a gap, and then it would be Lutova and Pareja, two and three. Like, that's how impressed I was by them, Colette. You know a little bit more about Lutova. Obviously, you were there for for the Orange Bull success, following it along with everything. Am, am I crazy here? How hyperbolic am I being? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you're crazy. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do, do tend to hyperbole, Alex. <laughs> I don't think that's any news to you or to the listeners. Um, I she fights like crazy. She had to, yeah. and I she in the junior orange bowl, it was sort of like the the Cooper Westendike story because she was as good as anybody in the 14s, but she played the 12s because she wanted to win the 12s. And I can actually remember Coco Goff doing the same thing. Coco um, at age 12 made the round of 16, I think, at the USTA Girls 18s clay courts in Memphis. That's the first time I saw her play. Um, and then, well, really saw her play. She had, she'd done a little bit as a 10 and 11-year-old at um, at the Junior Orange Bowl. She'd done a lot, actually, but I don't see much of them um, because they're at a different site. So, she came back to the Junior Orange Bowl in the 12s after doing doing that in the 18s against the best, 
you know, Americans in the 18s and unders. I think maybe that was the year Ann Lee won the tournament. But anyway, uh, there was some tremendous talent there. And and she, at 12, couldn't play any ITF events. She was too young, but she could play USTA 18s events. And she took advantage of that. And then she came back that year, that December, and played Junior Orange Bowl 12s and won that and said the same thing. I wanted to win this tournament. And so I I think Christina last year gave me very much those same vibrations is that that somehow doing that, knowing that you have the game that can compete at the next level or the next level above that and still wanting to do that. I think that that shows a, a real mind, a, a championship mindset. And she had to work her way out of some really tough um, positions in the 12s, actually, from the uh, girl from Korea. And she managed to do it. So did not surprise me one bit that she saved match points. And I, yeah, she's she's going to be very, very fun to watch in the next few years, for yeah. sure. No, she's, I mean, watch the match point she fought off, too. It was like a 30-shot rally, the first one. Second one, equal, like, it was just really good tennis because Anita, too, was slapping backhands. Like, she is excellent as well. It's a really good group of players. But, yeah, that Lutova stood out amongst all of them speaks to, again, 13 years old, you win this title. You've got a bright future ahead of you. And, yeah, the new joke will be, you know, she can still play the 16s for the next three times we do this. <laughs> right. um, and it's like, and she's not going to. Um, right. And so it, it will just be fascinating. But, I thought they were all really great. You know, again, coaches, darlings, people like Alanis Hamilton. She serves in volleys and doubles. The forehand's a little funky, but it's effective. Uh, people are just excited about the group in general. Like, the, every match was really good. There's a lot of really good players in this class. A lot of them are going to filter through college tennis. And so uh, it's going to be really enjoyable. With that said, in that spirit, before I let you go, rumors coaching, conference realignment, any other things, things you gathered from your times on the ground, things you thought about writing, but you're like, yeah, maybe I'll leave this out. I'll save it for the pod. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, there was a lot, a lot of talk, at, as I heard you and um, John say on your deciding point about conference uh, realignment. Obviously, that uh, that was crazy that Friday or whenever everything dropped. And and yeah, a, interesting conversation with Ryan Zachary, who's at Notre Dame. And of course, they're in a very kind of unique situation being ACC, except not football. And so, you know, that's a different perspective. And, and then, of course, I talked to Brett Macy and about that. And, you know, I talked to Grant Chen about what SMU is going to do because their name keeps coming up. And, and so I, yeah, I do think that there, there's a lot more that's going <clears> to <throat> come, come up in the next, I don't know, few weeks, but yeah, no one <clears throat> is certain of what's, uh, of what's coming for them in, in, you know, once all this kind of settles down, how the travel is going to work, um, how it's going to benefit the student athletes. They're not, you know, no one has any idea exactly how this is going to play out. 
Yeah, it, it, it's going to be fascinating because, again, oftentimes this is a football-driven decision, and it's the non-revenue sports that will bear the brunt of the impact. The teams that have to go on the road, you know, if you're UCLA, USC women, you're at Rutgers in Maryland for a weekend, and then you're flying back across the country, and then the next weekend you're flying to Illinois Northwestern, uh, and yeah. you're doing those back-to-back, and just are now Washington, Oregon, I guess, are in the Big Ten mix as well, so it's those same trips, and, you know, again, <laughs> vice versa. It's funny, because I've done those trips recently, I'm like, well, you know, the prospect of going from Ann Arbor to LA in March, like, they'll live. Um, <laughs> right. They'll be okay, um, but it's easier said than done, obviously. All right. I've buried the lead to minute 59. This is the reward for all who listen through. I do have one last topic for you. Let's do it. (laughs) San Diego versus Kalamazoo. Uh, You knew it was coming. I knew it was. Yeah. Look, as a lifelong attendee of Kalamazoo, lifelong. I I had a good run there. I'd say I've been at least five times, played a couple tournaments there in my day as well played states there my sophomore year the only year we lost so maybe that's why I have the negative connotation (laughs) in my mind about it but um look there are differences between the two I would like to point out I do think the I don't want to say the community in Kalamazoo embraces it more than the community in San Diego But there is more an awareness of the historical significance of this event, and there are more fans who come back repeatedly year after year to Kalamazoo than those that do come to San Diego right now. And for what it's worth, Kalamazoo has been going on longer than what's happened in San Diego. That's exactly the sort of uh, event that Lorne Kuhl and the team are trying to build in San Diego. And I think they're getting there. I mean, they had the brunch the morning before the final. They have all these different things to try and entice fans to come throughout the course of the week. Obviously, they have the wave of college coaches, much like Kalamazoo does, which to me is always a delight. I know they play at four different sites. Kalamazoo plays at Western, which is a stone's throw away from the Kalamazoo main site. And so, again, it's probably a little bit easier to negotiate Kalamazoo. But I'll tell you this, Colette, the San Diego weather might just be the reason why San Diego wins this argument because they're complaining like, oh, it's a bad morning here. It's 68 and cloudy. That's not a bad morning. That's the perfect morning for tennis. Like, it's never hotter than 82. Um, there's Yes, there's always a little breeze, but that breeze makes sure that you're not suffocating in heat and Look, I've been there for some Michigan summers. That first week of August, it gets humid. It gets a little funky. You're going to test the conditions. It's tough. It's tough. <laughs> I, all I'm saying is, like, it was very comfortable to wear an, uh, an open-collar shirt and shorts all week long and not have to worry about back sweat in San Diego. <laughs> Alex, let me ask you one question. Where, um, since you've been both places, how do you watch three matches at once at San Diego like you do in Stowe Stadium? We have the cameras. So we have, <laughs> yeah, so I have our Cracked Rackets broadcast. That would be my answer. Um, I, I tell I go to Wimbledon and talk to Wimbledon Radio and, and tell them that the best place in the world to watch tennis is Stowe Stadium. I don't think there's an argument about those three front courts. It's just that, you know, 
it's so perfect um the way all the seating is up and behind and there you know there's always something going on um quarters and semis this year we had good enough weather that those could be side by side um it was great but did you guys really sell out the final they did sell out the final it was awesome it was, was a it packed, packed? House. Uh, it was incredible like again a credit to Lorne and the team there was not a seat available we had to clear out space i had to text our guy i i don't know his last name first name's jose though great guy i'd be like hey can you clear people away from the camera because like i'm getting a direct dialogue of their thoughts on this match and like there was just some fact checking where it was just like, all right, that was wrong. Right. That was wrong. I was like, I'm not going to do it on the broadcast, but like, we got to move them because I'm going to go crazy listening to this. <laughs> like, that's how crowded it was. It was like, hey, like, you can't be standing next to the camera because the spot needs to be open. It was, I will say this the downhill look down into the stadium at Kalamazoo is beautiful. Like, you're absolutely right. That view in itself is why attending, for me, round of 16 day is the best day of the event because it's just good tennis start to finish, every matchup locked in. Other than that, though, it's not <laughs> It's not 76. I've, we're not going to relitigate Blueberries and Creamgate because we've done that before. Um I'm trying to think. I mean, I I was I didn't have I didn't look at the vendor. I know what the vendor offers at Kalamazoo because I've been there more frequently. I, there is something aesthetically delightful to having all of those coaches jammed behind the back net at those back courts in Kalamazoo when everyone's like right next to each other. There is actually something really beautiful about that. That's like tennis at its finest um, versus San Diego, where you're got a little more breathing room, which again some may prefer. <sighs> My theory is attend both. Got to go to both. Put them both on the bucket list, and you then you can be the judge. That would be my That's takeaway. I, and I will say that Lorne has done just a fantastic job of of um, sucking up. And I, I, <laughs> I love Lorne, and yeah. he has very close Kalamazoo connections with his sis, sister, having done that awesome. head coach of the women at Western Michigan, and so he's been here. He he knows uh, what Kalamazoo. It means to the community, I'm sure he's played here, um, what it means to um, everyone. And he wants to do that for San Diego. And there's nobody in the in the entire world that would be more um, capable of doing that. So I, I we want San Diego to be as good as Kalamazoo and keep us on our toes here as well. Um, we did not sell out the final, which was surprising because we had Lerner coming back and usually that helped and we had great weather and usually that helped. So so Lorne's thrown down the, the gauntlet there. And so yeah. I think we're gonna have to do a little bit more to get fans in the seats. You know, we had a good crowd. We probably had the same crowd that you had, but um, it wasn't sold out. So- You know what you didn't have? You didn't have Billie Jean King in the house coming, we of course, for both of the finals, which was so awesome. And that is so. Yeah. You're right. That that is another thing. That yeah, it would be nice if we if we had a former champion and a legend. You could get <laughs> Billy J. Martin. Like, <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. If Billy actually liked to travel, he comes to Kalamazoo like <laughs> once every four years or something. Um, he would be a great one to have there to be our ambassador. But yeah, we 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 need somebody like Billy Jean to to really you know. I'm thinking like 
Paul Oosterbond comes out. It's just like, <laughs> Kelly's just like, yeah. Uh, or, you know, again, that's a deep cut for us. Davis Crocker walks out. Uh, or, no, Crick's. Scott Altman. No, Scott Altman, a former yeah. finalist. He, he could actually do the job. That would be fun. Yeah. But no, we do, we do need, you know, a little bit more of that sort of integration, I think, with. Um, uh, professional tennis so so hopefully that'll happen and yeah I had forgotten all about that qualifying wild card which I wrote about back when it was announced but if for the San Diego event that would be something that would be you know really awesome you know to have something similar to that in Kalamazoo maybe I I don't know it's it's a little bit difficult um I, that may be one of the reasons Clary's not playing the U.S. Open though she's probably j- done with junior tennis um, she's not playing the U.S. Open juniors because that's going to conflict with with, um, you know, the qualifying and the finals would be on the same day. So, yeah, um, that would be a nice, nice thing for Kalamazoo to start thinking about is to is to have. I know the U.S. Open wildcard, you're like, that's not enough, but it actually would be nice to have something else, maybe at a different time of year. Maybe we can get um, the Dallas Open or something to do that. I was going to say, no, Ruben's already there. So just bring him out. Like, yeah, I guess. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, just two well, who are the former champions in the crowd. There's usually at least two. That's um, true. There's yeah, usually and, way more than that. Actually. Yeah, exactly. If you count the doubles. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, that's, that's what I'm talking about. And so, no, I mean, again, I will say one of my favorite things is when it's this time of year because then there's nothing quite like your recaps of this event because, again, they've just been a staple of my life for many years now and i think for tennis fans everywhere it's the one thing where you get an update on okay what's the future look like i know we're all excited right now with you know all guys who filtered through kalamazoo and fritz and tiafo and paul and even chris eubanks played kalamazoo ben shelton's a kalamazoo finalist you have all these guys in the top 50 nakashima a 16s and he won the 18s too, right? No, no lost, lost final. He lost to Jensen Brooksby in the final. Oh, yeah. Brooksby, <laughs> another Kalamazoo champion. These are all starting to come back now. Um, they all filter through Kalamazoo. They all filter through San Diego. And, you know, that's why we were so excited to get to shine a spotlight on one of the events this year. Uh, hoping to continue to shine a spotlight on all of them in the future. And the way we do that is by bringing you on the show. So it is always a pleasure to be joined by the greatest of all time. Lewis, thank you for taking the time, and hopefully we'll have you back on the podcast soon. Before next year, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe not before the Jewish calendar switches, Rosh Hashanah's next month, but we'll try and get you in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great, Alex. Thanks for having me. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with the GOAT, Colette Lewis. Of course, a thank you to her, as always, for taking the time to chat. You can read every day's recap from the 2023 Kalamazoo on the Zoo Tennis blog. And again, if you want updates week in, week out, day in, day out on everything happening in the tennis world, there is no better read than her daily posts. You can find them on her blog. You can find them through tennisrecruiting.net. She's the best. We always appreciate her time. Thank you to Colette for joining us. I thank you. As always, to our super producer, Daniel Wastoff, for the f*** of any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Again, two great shot podcasts, two mini breaks here on Tuesday. We're playing catch up. We'll have two more mini breaks for you all on Wednesday. Another great shot podcast episode for you as well. Countless cracked interviews episodes coming over the weekend as we head to Pennsylvania. Then we'll be in Cleveland, hoping to get a few more there as well. 
We're rocking and rolling. We hope you all enjoy it. Of course, again, you can follow all of it, CrackedRackets.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. A shout-out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support as well, Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for the fantastic Colette Lewis, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all twice tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>